We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today, we are talking about working with children who are highly anxious. If you work with children, odds are you have one or two children, if not more on your caseload, who are highly anxious. And today, I am going to leave you with four takeaways that you can put into practice today to help these children who are highly anxious. The title of this episode is What Not to Do When Working with Children Who Are Highly Anxious. And I want you to learn from my mistakes. You are welcome. So I'm going to give you four takeaways this episode. You're going to roll up your sleeves. You're going to put them into practice today, and you're going to start changing lives today. The first takeaway of what not to do if you're working with children who are highly anxious is do not add fuel to the flames. I have my flames here. And what I mean by not adding fuel to the flames is do not add more attention to what they are anxious about. So suppose they're anxious about transitioning over into your therapy or transitioning into your classroom and into your group. Do not make it a bigger deal than it is, a bigger event than what it is. So I'm going to share with you now a, a unique weakness of myself and being that I do have ADHD and I am very high energy. So what my go-to is, what I do naturally is I turn up the volume. I turn up the fun volume. And I'm like, if I just make this more fun, then children are going to want to engage in it and they're going to transition to it more easily. However, if the child is a highly sensitive child, they actually need you to turn that volume down. So instead of turning up the volume, I need to turn it down. And that requires me to not do what comes naturally to me. Instead, I have to do what is based on the child and attune to the child and realize that the child is overwhelmed. 
And if I make the event bigger, if I say, I have a Mickey Mouse party for therapy today, knowing that the child likes Mickey Mouse, and it's just like, this is too much. This therapy session is just too big. It's overwhelming. I don't know if I can handle this. Instead, I have to be like, oh, come on, it's time for therapy. Come follow me. And I just have to simmer down and think about, am I behaving in a predictable manner? Is there a routine in which it's familiar and almost like Mr. Rogers in which every day I kind of do the same thing instead of being like, what's the party this week? And being over the top, which I can tend to be because that's my natural state. And that's how I naturally respond is I naturally say, let's make this more fun. And if I make it more fun, then everyone's going to want to engage in it. And the fact of the matter is that making it more fun sometimes makes it just too big of a deal, too overwhelming for a child, especially a child who is very hypersensitive. So instead, what I need to do is I need to tune, as Stanley Greenspan would say to the child, and I need to say, okay, this child needs me to simmer down, as the Saturday Night Live character Sherry O'Terry would say, simmer down now, and needs me to just kind of feel like, come on in, no big deal. (laughs) And it was funny, I was talking to a colleague about this, and it meant so much to me that the colleague provided an empathetic response because I told her, I said, what's natural for me is to be high energy like all the time. And and that's my natural go-to. If something isn't working, I just push harder and I exert more effort and then I'm successful. But with children who are highly sensitive, I need to instead be cognizant of their state and I need to take it down a level. And I need to talk more slowly. I need to move more slowly. I need to be more calm. And I was like, and I said, this is difficult for me because that's not my natural way of responding. I have to be cognizant. I have to pause and I have to think and purposely respond in a manner that's intentional to the child and that's appropriate to the individual child. And I was so happy that my colleague didn't say, I'm glad you answered the clue phone. Yeah, you do need a summer down. You're too high energy. Instead, she said, you know, I feel the same way because I'm very gentle with the children. And some children, they respond better if you're a little bit firmer and shorter with your directions. And that's really hard for me because that's not my natural way of communicating with children. And I appreciated that she understood that communication is a two-way tract And every child needs you to communicate in a different manner based on the child and need to attune to that child at that moment and at that time. And it's this delicate back and forth dance. So I was just so appreciative to talk to a colleague and I didn't feel alone. I felt like someone else really gets me and that sometimes you have to take a step back and not do what you would naturally do. Instead, you have to do something thoughtfully and intentionally that's based on, not based on you, but based on the child you're working with. So let's go into the number two. The number two takeaway I have is do not engage in high pressure sales. (laughs) I've done this a million times. Trust me, this does not work. 
for instance, I had a learning station in which we had sea animals and we were cleaning the oil off of the sea animals from an oil spill. Okay. And I wanted the girl who had difficulty transitioning from one station to the next to come to my station easily. So what did I do? High pressure sales. Oh, look at this. We're going to get the spray and we're going to get the toothbrush. We're going to clean off their teeth and we're going to use the brush and we're going to brush off their fur and we're going to get them nice and clean and spray them with a water bottle. And we're going to have so much fun over here. Wow, wow, marine biologist. La, la, la. And it was just what is going on here? Why is she pushing the station by being like, it's almost like saying, oh, look, here's this, here's a million dollars. And if you take this million dollars, I will give you something to eat. And if you take this million dollars, I'll buy you a present. And if you take this million dollars, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. It's like, what's wrong with this activity? Why are you pushing it? This must be garbage. This must be horrible for you to be doing such a sales job on it. It reminds me of the book, Green Eggs and Ham. I will not eat it here or there. I will not eat it anywhere where you're like, would you take it here? Would you take it there? Would you take it there? Would you take it there? So that high pressure sales never works. And that's just another way of me going to my natural state. When something's stuck, you just push harder and you exert more energy. But by exerting more energy, the child's just like, this must be bad because it's like you are just pushing it so hard and you're putting more energy into it. So this must be a bad thing. This is not something you want to do because Miss Kelly is doing this big high pressure sales job. Don't do the high pressure sales. So what do you want to do instead? Instead of the high pressure sales, what I should have done is I should have just been like, oh my goodness, I forgot the dish soap. I'm not going to be able to get any of these soap off of the dish soap. Oh, could you get the dish soap for me and bring it over? Oh, thank you so much. So it's like, instead of the child's already obsessing about going over and transitioning to this next environment, that's a new environment, that's new children, that's the new expectations, that, that's like, oh, this is already so much. And you're adding this high pressure sales to it. You want to get them not thinking about the environment. Instead, you want to, we want to get their mind off of it. So you give them a task that's kind of not or tangentially related. Oh, I need some dish soap. Can you bring some dish soap over? I forgot it. Oh, thank you so much. So then they're already at the table. Oh, this is stuck. Can you squirt this out? And you fade in the demands into preferential things they want to do. They wanted to get the dish soap. They wanted to squirt it out into the water to make it bubbly. And then you can fade in the demands of the speech or language test that you're working on. Okay. But you can't be like, this is so fun. This activity is so much fun. Don't do what I do. <laughs> be like, I got the spray bottle. I've got the toothbrush. I've got the shaving cream. That never works. The high pressure sales never works. Instead, get the key. And the key means finding an unrelated or unrelated task that, that, that gets them over to the table. Oh my goodness, I don't have any towels here. Could you ask Miss Stephanie for some towels? I forgot my towels. Oh, thank you so much. They're at the table. Okay. Now we can slowly fade in the demands. Okay. Now we have number. Three. This is the 
third takeaway, and it is to give children time and space. This took me so many years to learn. And what I would do in the past is, for instance, it would be circle time and I would give them a choice. I would say, you know, it's circle time right now and you can sit on a chair or you can sit on the leaf. Which would you prefer? But I need you to sit in the circle time because I need to make sure you're safe and I need to make sure I can have my eyes on you and see you. Now that's changed because what I realized is that some children need more time and they need time to observe what are these children going to be doing in this circle time. They need time to hear how does this circle time play out. They need time to find out is this a safe, secure environment for me to join into. So that's okay. Give them the time and space to observe and to hear what's going on, to see what the people are doing. And then when they're ready, they can come join in. No pressure. So it's everyone needs time and space to be ready. And it's really important to give them that time and space. So in the past, a big mistake I made was I would give them a choice. And it wasn't about control. It would, I would give them a choice. Okay, uh, you can choose which station you want to go to, but it's time to go to stations. Do you want to go to station A or do you want to go to station B? You get to choose. But now I realize it's not about them wanting control. Many of the children that are highly anxious is about them not feeling comfortable just yet. And maybe they just need to watch first and they need to see what happens in the station, what happens in this circle time. When they feel comfortable, they're going to come over. So what I do now is I'll have my circle time and I bring presents. And I said, I brought some presents to circle time. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get our presents and get to open our presents. So let's see what presents you have. And they're not really presents. They're things that begin with the letter of the week in a box that are hidden that the children get to pull out their toys that begin with that letter. But you have to come over to the circle time to be able to reach the box and get the presents in. So whenever you're ready, come on over. But it's just still one of those things is respect that children, they're all developing at a different level. And these children who are highly anxious, they really do need that time and space. And when they're ready, they're going to come over. Now, there are things that we can do to make that easier. For instance, we can sequence it. So the first thing we do when there's a transition to come over is the highest interest activity. So that makes the transition even easier. It's like, okay, we're going to start with the dance party. You're putting on that super simple song with lots of movement involved to start. Or we're going to start by opening presents first. So think about how you're going to organize your routine. Or they can bring a transition object over to the circle time, their favorite toy with them to sit down next to them. Or you can have an activity that they can manipulate or play with that is near the circle time so they can observe the circle time. But maybe, for instance, they're finishing a puzzle or something of that nature and sitting at a table nearby and watching the activity. So thinking about just meeting the individual child where that child is. So not every child can just be like, snap, snap, clap, clap, get over to the circle. 
it's not, some children are just not there yet. They're not able to transition at the snap of a finger. They need that time to be comfortable. They need that time to feel safe and secure and to feel like this is a predictable environment that they're entering into before they're ready to transition. That's okay. All right, so this is the fourth takeaway. The last one is to prevent transition difficulties in advance. So on my parent input sheet, I do find out, and this does work wonders, what the children's favorite toys are, what their favorite songs are, what their favorite movies are, what their favorite TV shows are. And on day one, I put my best foot forward. I want to make a good impression. So my flowers that I bring, I'll be coming out with my jar of cars and vehicles, if that's what they love. I get that in my hand, or dinosaurs or superheroes, or my little ponies, whatever their favorite toy is. So I mean, loud, let's go. We're going to go play my little ponies. Come with me. So I do that. But one thing I don't do that I want to start doing is I want to take my parent input form and I would like to add the question, does your child have separation anxiety difficulties? Do they have difficulty separating from you? And if so, I want to know what has worked in the past. And I'll give some options. I'll say having a transitional object that they bring from home, has that helped in the past? You walking them into a space and interacting with them for a little while until you leave. Has that worked in the past? Having their favorite activity out. So getting ideas from the parent already to know that A, if transitions are difficult, and B, what the parent has done to make the transitions easier. Because it's all 99.99% prevention of the transition difficulty in the first place. So keeping that in mind, I do want to change my parent input input form. So if you have my book, you'll see I have an excellent parent input form. I think it's the best one out there in my book, Speech Sound Disorders. And you could use that. And if I were you, I would edit that parent input form and I would add a question and I would say, has your child had transition difficulties in the past? What are some ways that have made it easier? and use that to prevent a transition difficulty on day one into coming into therapy with you, to coming to assessment with you, or to coming into a group classroom with you. Okay, so those are the four main takeaways that I shared with you today. And they're all unique. They're very different. The first main takeaway that I shared with you today is based on attunement. So meeting the child where the individual child is. So instead of acting like, I know how to get children into a room, this is what you do. Look at the individual child. Does this child need you to dial it down or does this child need you to dial it up and really paying attention to attunement and that you are attuning to the child to decide how are you going to respond into getting the child to transition easily into a room or into an activity okay Number two, we're going to be looking at diversion. So number two, when a child is obsessing over transitioning into an activity and really digging in, you're not going to want to push that locked door harder 
that's not going to open the door. Instead, you're going to want to get a key. And the way you're going to get a key is by giving a preferential task that you know the child's going to engage in because it's fun that doesn't seem related to what you want the child to do. It seems like something offhand, such as, oh my goodness, I need towels. Can you do me a favor and get me some towels? Thank you so much. Can you give me some dish soap? I forgot my dish soap. You're such a great helper. Thank you. All right. And then number four, we also look at prevention. 99.99% of our attention when it comes to behavior is really having to be on attention. And that's why I spoke to you before about having an ABC log about positive behaviors. So when we see positive behaviors, what is the antecedent and how do we respond to that? So we see these positive behaviors for longer duration, for more for greater frequency and for a higher quality. That's what you want to pay attention to. Do more of that so you're st- setting the stage for success because these wins will produce more wins. You want to get positive momentum going and more positive momentum will happen as a result. Okay, so those are the four takeaways that I want you to put in practice with children who are highly anxious. And I know I can bet that if you work with children, you have children on your caseload who are highly anxious. And if you take these four takeaways, you are going to be in a better place. You're going to see less tantrums due to transition difficulties. You're going to see them occur less often. You're going to see it remediate itself more quickly. I think when I look at these four takeaways, really in all of these takeaways, there's this underlining theme to keep in mind, which is to meet the child where they are. So when you look at the takeaway number one, what does that child need? Do they need me to dial it up? Do they need me to dial it down? It's time to talk about attunement here. It's not about me doing the show, the SLP show that I do. Number two, when we're looking at that, meet the child where they are. The child's obsessing over not joining your activity or not going into that room with you. How are you going to divert them and get the key so that they're not thinking about that they're not going to come with you, that they're not going to transition to your activity, that they're not going to come into your therapy room? Do something different. D-S-D. And that's meeting the child where they are, which is they're stuck. We're going to get a key by doing something different. And then number three, we're talking about, once again, meeting the children where they are. This is a child that is not comfortable coming to group. It's not that they're not coming to group because they want control and they don't feel control. It's because they're not coming to group because they're not familiar with the children around you. They're not familiar with you. They're not familiar with their routine. This doesn't feel safe to them yet. Give them the time and space to observe and hear what's going on and join you when they feel comfortable. And of course, stack the deck so that you're doing the highest interest activities first. 
And number four, once again, meet the child where the child is. The parent's going to be able to tell you if they have transition difficulties. The parent's already going to have a bag of tricks that they use. Okay, I have them, I let him bring this favorite dowel in with him. This favorite superhero goes with him. Or I, I walk them in and I interact with them a little bit until they feel comfortable and then I can leave. They're going to tell you what works. Use it. So that's the, that's where we want to start. We want to prevent, prevent the separation anxiety from occurring in the first place. And we're going to do that by finding out what is your child's favorite toys. And you're going to meet them with those flowers. I say in quotes, flowers. You're going to meet them with your favorite toys in your hand. You're going to find out what their favorite activities are. You're going to find out what their favorite songs are. Maybe in the background, you have their favorites, their favorite songs playing in the background in your therapy room or in your classroom when they come in. You are setting the stage for success. How are you doing that? Meeting the children where they are. So in these four takeaways, you're always going to remember, I've got to meet the child where they are. These children are all different. When we look at children, they're not like stamped products that go through a factory line and they're all built the same. Every child is built differently. Every child has a unique history. Every child has unique social emotional needs. Every child has unique cognitive, linguistic, motor skills, and they need a unique approach in order to be successful. So I want you to roll up all of your, your sleeves and I want you to make the world a better place one child at a time. You are always going to be first. And if you haven't checked out my Audible book yet, 32 Lessons That Create Lifelong Change and Autism Intervention, make sure to check that out. Email me. Let me know if you liked it or not. I am reading the book to you. So if you're like, I, this isn't enough, just hearing Kelly on a podcast every Thursday, I need more Kelly. I want to hear 32 lessons that create lifelong change in autism intervention. These lessons aren't just research-based. Of course, they're research-based. Every single piece of advice I give you, I have the numbers to back it up. These are experience-based. These are lessons that I've gleaned from 20 years of working with children with autism, specializing with preschoolers with autism. So you're going to have the research and you're going to have the clinical experience together. And then I'm going to say these are five tips. Put them in a place right now. It's going to make a difference. All right. I'll see you next Thursday unless you get my book on Audible and listen to that and let me know what you think. 32 lessons that create lifelong change and autism intervention.